proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron, and I am joined by Zach and Chris, and today we are talking about the decrees of God. But before we get to that, let's kind of just give a shout out to this week, some things that have happened, uh, whether they be positive, negative, or just unimportant. <laughs> Zach, what do you got for us, man? Um, recently at MMBC, we, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been starting a preaching group, which was kind of actually birthed from the class that you did, which was kind of cool. So I tried to bring it back to Monroe. Um, but we, actually we've had the last two weeks, we've had eight guys, which is pretty cool. You know, at first I thought you said NBC. I was like, wow, they're doing that at MBC. No, no, no. MMBC, oh. Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've got, uh, eight guys that are interested in, uh, just developing their gifts of preaching and teaching. Some of them have never done it. Some of them have done it like once or twice. And so it's pretty exciting. We've got one of our, uh, we've got our discipleship pastor leading that group. So that's been really encouraging and exciting. What's the textbook you guys are using? Uh, Lloyd-Jones, Preaching and Preachers. You can't argue that one. Can't beat that. So, Chris, what about you, man? What's going on in California? Well, the weather's getting a little better out here. So uh, that's been kind of nice to see the sun here lately. As we have uh, snow everywhere, you're complaining <laughs> about not seeing the sun. I don't even know what the sun is. Zach, do you know what the sun is? Uh, I don't even know. No, I'm so confused. <laughs> I thought it was just a blanket of gray up in the sky with white stuff falling we down. Have gray, we have gray haze everywhere, and it's not because of pollution. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Pure Michigan. No, I, out here, it's, it's nice and clear today, so that's been nice. It's, it's been kind of a happy day for us. But... Uh, <laughs> Any protests going on by you? There have been no protests going on by us. Uh, it typically, I think a lot of that tends to happen more towards the big cities, and I'm a little more suburban slash rural out here, so nothing like that happening around here. Do you have like a horse and buggy? I do not have a horse and buggy, how although you, it would how do you be go kind anywhere? of how do you get to the store? <laughs> <laughs> we drive like the rest of civilization. I could picture but, you uh, with your beard like in a horse and buggy with like a corncob pipe and like a, a really big hat. That would, I'm, I'm awesome. not saying I couldn't pull it off. I'm thinking Amish. <laughs> Amish yeah. guy. Totally. Let's check his theology. You'd have, you... to, you'd have to shave your mustache to be Amish though and just have the chin beard. You got to have a neck beard to yeah. be Amish. <laughs> <laughs> Do a barn raising. <laughs> <laughs> So God's decrees, right? <laughs> yeah, let's jump in. Yeah, moving along. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to open with Ephesians chapter 1, of verse 11. It says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's that all things that we uh, drive this doctrine of decrees from, that there is nothing that is not sovereignly in the hand of God and happens because of his will. Um, I know our confessions speak to this. Why don't we start there? Um, Zach, you want to speak for the London Baptist, and I guess as you do that, you're also going to be parroting uh, the Westminster, but why don't you just go ahead and grab that? This is totally original, by the way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I lied. Forgive me. 
Um, yeah, so basically with God's decree, uh, chapter 3, section 1 in the 1689 says, um, God hath decreed, the, God, yeah, wow, I messed that up. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so is thereby, as God neither the author of sin nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. So right off the bat, um, we talked a lot last week about mystery, so there is some mystery there too, because God decrees all that's going to come to pass, yet no violence is offered toward the will of creatures. Um, second causes aren't taken away, so he's not the author of sin. Um, so there's, there's, I don't want to say tension as in a contradiction there, but there's some mystery to how that can be, you know. Um, the scripture that came to mind right when I read that, uh, and actually I don't even know if it's one using the footnotes. It might be Psalm 3310. Um, wait, is it Psalm? Yeah, Psalm 3310 through 15. The Lord... The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Uh, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. And so the last part, he who fashions the hearts of them all, he's decreed all these things that are going to come to pass. He knows what's in our hearts, um, and yet uh, he's not the author of sin, and he does not do violence to our own will as creatures. The Westminster uh, says in uh, chapter 3, 1, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yeah. And it's that whatsoever um, that that your passage and my Ephesians passage um, speak of that I think give a lot of people chills. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you want to speak to that a little bit, at least from, uh, you know, the, the Dutch Reform heritage perspective? Um, and that's a rich heritage in regards to this doctrine and just kind of help us break through that, that truth. Yeah, uh, the Belgic Confession of Faith, uh, number 13, speaks of divine providence, saying, We believe that the same God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. Nevertheless, God neither is the author of, nor can be charged with, the sins which are committed. Uh and there's quite a bit more as it goes on from there. Um, this definitely is one of the more mysterious and probably, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I would think this is probably one of the most misunderstood areas of doctrine that we could engage in. Yeah, totally. It's. Um, I think when people first hear about it, God God has a decree, okay, that's cool. Um, God elects people, okay, I'm on board with that. And then when you go so far as to, he decrees everything that's going to come to pass, um, I mean, at least for me, when I when I started wrestling with that, it's hard to wrap your mind around how he's not the author of sin. And we would obviously reject, we would reject that wholeheartedly, um, but it's hard to wrap your mind around that. I mean, isn't that the question or the objection we always get? Well, then God's the author of sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it, yeah, it seems like it always does just come back around to that kind of general argument. And that's where I think the scriptures have to come into play, and we have to be careful to 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 get into this biblically and understand exactly what scripture has to say about this particular issue, because it is definitely the deep end of the pool. How deep? <laughs> like Marianas Trench Deep. <laughs> That's an August Burns Red song. Anybody listen to them? Metalheads? No? Nope, not Aaron. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen it. Oh, yeah, there you go. Chris you guys, knows. If you guys want to talk Frank Sinatra. And... <laughs> He's cool, too. He's cool. <laughs> Johnny Cash, I'm your guy. <clears throat> I think we got to be careful when we're talking about uh, God's decrees, um, also saying, and we kind of hinted, hinted on this already, but w- what it's not, what we're not saying. Obviously, we're not saying he's the author of sin. Um, and that's that's the default position. L- like you said, Aaron, as soon as someone hears that, the, 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 the rejection is, oh, yeah, well, he's the author of sin, and we have to protect that he's not, while also affirming that not only does he know everything, but the reason he knows everything is because he's decreed everything that comes to pass. One of the follow-ups to that, right, is that not only is the author of sin— now man's a robot. Right. And man being yeah. a robot, I mean, then therefore man shouldn't have any responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, so, so if, if man's a robot, how does he still find fault? With Romans 9, you know, uh, why'd you make me this way? Or how, how can God still find fault if he's, uh, speaking of election, chosen some for honor, some for dishonor, right? So how is he not... Um, doing injustice to the creature at that point. And really the only answer that's given in Romans 9 is, who are you to answer back to God? You know, there's not really an extensive answer given for that question. Is I mean, unless you guys maybe know of one that's clearer, but that's really kind of just like a Job-style answer where it's, why are you questioning me, you know? I mean, you bring up Job and you think about that, that scenario. He loses his children, his house, mm-hmm. his livelihood. Uh, his wife forsakes him. And yeah, I think we got some questions to ask, right. but then God kind of confronts them with, where were you? Yeah. You know, and uh, the point being that God always has been, and therefore everything is sits in his hand. What what encouragement does that bring for the believer, that, that truth, this doctrine of the decrees of God? Um, speaking of Job, you know, fortunately for us, which it's, it can be a blessing to have that whole story played out for us. So we see what happened before Job went through all this. You have you have God and Satan, right? You've got kind of a, not a deal made, but you've got the situation play out, and then all this stuff happens to Job. Job doesn't know why it's going on, right? Um, but we see how it turns out, ultimately for God's glory, and I think that gives us hope um, in whatever context we're in, whatever situation we're going through, that even though we don't understand the suffering that we're going through, we don't know why God is uh, doing it or allowing it to happen, um, but we do know that ultimately there is a purpose in it. So I think without God's decree, without him determining every single event that takes place, um, the evil in our lives would be purposeless. It would just happen, and God would just allow it to happen, and he wouldn't have a reason for it. Um, and that would be more horrific <laughs> to me to to take that view, you know. So knowing that there's a reason behind it, ultimately for God's glory, and ultimately for my good as well, you know, as a believer in sanctification and teaching me to rely on God, knowing that those purposes are behind my own suffering gives me hope. First, I would totally agree with everything you're saying. Um, I have found this particular doctrine to be very pastorally valuable. On, on the one side of it, you have, I think, the fact that everyone who is familiar with Scripture is going to agree that God is not the author of sin. Right. On the other hand, we're going to also agree 
God is sovereign and in absolute control and decrees all things that come to pass. Both of those things are absolutely, undeniably biblical. Now, the question is, is how do those things work together? Uh, how is it that they are compatible? And that's where we work through some of this and where things can get a little challenging. But one of the places in Scripture that's always very helpful for me in helping to share this with others and, and for myself, really, is in Genesis 50. You've got the whole account there of Joseph and his brothers, and you know previously they had sold him off into slavery in Egypt, and there he was imprisoned all these years of his life, and eventually finds his way up to the right hand of Pharaoh and saves all of Egypt, and his brothers come, and they're looking for food, and he finally reveals himself to them, and you have this one verse that is just mind-blowing, Yeah, where he tells them, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, uh, I've heard people try and get around that saying, well, they meant it for evil and God used it for good. Right, and that's totally and, different. <laughs> that is totally different, and that isn't what the text says. Uh, it's the same word. Right. that they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And to understand that God is not out of control. You know, I don't understand how that can possibly be comforting or pastorally helpful to tell people in cases where horrible things have happened and there is just suffering and hurt and devastation that, well, God just couldn't do anything about it. Right. I, I, what... What kind of God is that? But to understand, no, there there is purpose in this. And even though we might not be able, from our vantage point right now, from, from our uh, finitude, to be able to see that purpose, God—and this is where I think the, the verse of Romans 8, 28, becomes very powerful. What so often is so cliche becomes very powerful in the light of this, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we see um, in that in that Genesis 50 um the fact that they got uh, Joseph says you meant it for evil so he's not that's how he's not the author of sin. He's not overriding them and forcing them to sin. They genuinely right. meant to do Joseph evil. So they're fully yeah. responsible for that. And yet yeah. God is using that, not only using it, but God is meaning that for his ultimate will in that situation to play out. So they're still they're still responsible and yet God has ordained it. I just want to throw this question out there. How have people misused Romans 8.28 if we're talking about God's decrees? Mm -hmm. How have you guys seen that misused? Uh, sometimes I think people... I, I can't even think of a specific... Not that I'd name someone if I could think of it specific, but... Uh, I, Chris. I, I, right, Chris. No, he doesn't do this, I'm sure. <laughs> he would never do this. But I know sometimes... Um, people might use that almost as an excuse for maybe like a, a sin or a bad decision they made to almost excuse it without having to own it and say, yeah, that was wrong. That was sin. They'll be like, well, you know, God will use that for good. And if, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I am now. I've seen people do that. They'll make a mistake and, and down the road, God will use it right for good or, or ultimately we can see that it was meant for, you know, the sanctification or something, but sometimes they can use that verse as almost like an excuse. Like, well, if I wouldn't have done that, it was wrong, but if I wouldn't have done that, I, I wouldn't have been able to be, you know, this much wiser or whatever. So it can be abused in that way, I think. And I think also you'll find people that will take that and say, well, God is making all things good. 
that all things are going to be good for those who love him. And we got to go back and look at the text and say, no, that's not what it says. It says he is working all things together for good Mm -hmm. uh, for those who love him. And later on in the passage, you see what is that good. It is our conformity to the image of Christ and his glory. Well, thanks, so, guys. You just destroyed my coffee cup verse. <laughs> Your T-shirt verse? Yeah. Your life verse? I'm we'll take it from you. <laughs> I think um, when we, uh, if we want to get into like the idea of open theism, which obviously would be dangerous, right? You've got them kind of, they could maybe look at a verse like Romans eight twenty eight and say, okay, He's working all that together, so he's got a hand that he's been dealt, right, God. So someone's dealing God cards miraculously. I don't know how that works, but so God has this hand of cards he's been dealt, and, and it's just a mess, and he's going to arrange them in a way that, that makes sense. And I think a lot of people, even if they're not going to full-on label themselves an open theist, sometimes that can be the default mentality when you read that verse, like, oh, man, there's a mess, and God's going to fix it. You know, he, he, maybe he was shocked by this. He didn't know this was going to happen, but he's going he's gonna to work it together in the end. I think that would be a a wrong way to view that verse as well. I think the the catechism um, helps us guardrails here, the confessions do, uh, specifically in this regard. Um, question 8 of the Shorter Catechism for Westminster asks, uh, how does God execute his decrees, right? And it's going to say two ways, through creation and providence. Mm-hmm. Well, at creation, there's only one being there, and that is God. Right. And therefore, everything that is created is created by God, for God's purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, every, uh, every inventor has a purpose for the things he creates. God has a purpose for that which he creates. But he's not a, you know, God isn't a deist. He's not, it's not, he's setting things in motion and walking away and doesn't have uh, a compassion for the things he's created. No, there's the providential hand of God in the way in which he cares for his creation. And you see that um, first in the way he cares for Adam and Eve in the garden and gives them a, uh, a, a plentiful garden to live in and to, to dwell in where every need is taken care of. But even after sin, a sin which they uh, did by their own will, right. um, violated his law, he again condescends and, and in his providence provides not only uh, clothes, um, but engages them even in special revelation right. by talking to them and revealing the providence of redemption, which the sacrifice of the animal would, would show. Um, so all through that, you see God's hand constantly active. And when you start playing with things like open theism, there's no guardrails. Right. It's, there's no, I can't have any confidence in this God. How He's not trustworthy um, because... He really isn't in control, number one. He doesn't uh, even know everything. He doesn't right? know everything, and then how will he know to take care of every need I have? Yeah. And so he becomes very unreliable. Uh, that's my take on it. What do you think, Chris? Well, I'm thinking along the lines of Isaiah 46, 9, and 10, that this is one of the things that God says of himself that sets him apart. Is you know He says, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Um, This is the godhood of God. Uh, And apart from this, um, I can't understand how how people would find it helpful to think that God really doesn't know what's coming down the line. 
that, that he's learning along the way, just like we are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, that would be terrifying. And I think to someone, you know, on a pastoral side to, to counsel somebody who is suffering in that kind of way, I, I think would be devastating. Um, if there's one thing that is difficult about suffering, it is thinking that it is pointless, uh, that, that what we're going through or what we're enduring is really meaningless and purposeless. But when we understand that while we may not know a purpose for it, that God is at work, that, that he has not abandoned us, but that somehow God is working in that for good, there is, I, I find that personally to be strengthening and encouraging uh, to endure those types of things. It, it clearly ties into to the fact that everything is working for His glory. Right. There is an yeah. end, ending goal, and and that is the glory of God. And and so everything, including the fall, mm-hmm. is is included in that process. And that's where we come back to. Well, then He must have known the fall. Yes, He knew it, right. and He already provided. For it, and that's why in three fifteen of Genesis, he can already tell you what the answer is. Right. It's it's not like he's trying to figure things out as they go, which is, you know, again, it's just so encouraging to know. You know, he not only does he he know this, he's got this, and he's planned for it. Think about think about the violence that we would be doing to the crucifixion, right? If we're saying that it was just a contingency plan with the fall, right? So, if you've got You've got God at the beginning. His original intention, if if his original intention doesn't include Christ coming to pay for sins, right, then it, it literally is a plan B. Like how how does how much does that minimize just Christ's death on the cross for us? You know what I mean? I mean, that's horrific. Well, that's one of the things of why I abandoned dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. Because God had to have a plan B because the, the Jews rejected right. him. Now what? Well, mm-hmm. I'll go to this other group of people. That's a really weak God. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and the encouragement is it's he's not weak. He's sovereign, and everything has been working according to plan. Even even these mess-ups fit into his plan. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I had a dad who was a builder, and he could make things out of wood and all that. And the thing was, you know, I'd help him a lot of times, and I'd really screw stuff up. And what was cool was to watch how beautiful he could make my mess-ups mm-hmm. look. That's that's real confidence. I didn't have a problem working with my dad because I knew no matter how bad I messed it up, my dad had my back, and yet how much more my heavenly Father, who can actually take care of my sin, you know, and 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 when I have, you know, if you have cancer or if you have a loss of a child or you have all of these horrible, horrific things that happen in life, God's got it, and we we can have confidence as Christians. We don't have to be fearful. Death itself, right? It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can have confidence of where we're going or who we're going to be with because of a sovereign God. Right. We don't have to live in fear. Man, I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't either. Yeah, and, and back to the, the crucifixion thing, just to just to kind of show like how that plays out. Um, in Acts 4, you've got Peter and John. So Peter is saying... Uh, it's chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servants Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So these are wicked men uh, responsible for their wickedness in killing Christ, and yet 
it says that God predestined for that to take place. Um, so we know it's not plan B, right? <laughs> which, which gives yeah. me great assurance. And it just, I, I can't imagine viewing that as, as a plan B, that would be so just horrific to think about in that way. You know, say so you see the same thing, uh, just a little bit earlier over in, uh, in chapter two, uh, where he says in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Mm -hmm. uh, and so again, you, you've got the same thing going on there. And one thing I find helpful in that too is a lot of times people will respond and say, you know, these horrible things have happened in my life, and you're telling me that that even in that, God was in control, that that in some sense he ordained these things should come to pass in my life. Uh, how could that be? And how could God ever bring anything good out of that? And I think we only have to turn to these kinds of passages and say the only truly innocent sufferer who has ever lived is Christ himself. Right. And God ordained and predestined that Christ should suffer for us and was able to bring forth the salvation of all of his people through that event and through what was an act of sin on behalf of those who crucified him. And so, uh, you know, it, it definitely is a complex teaching of Scripture, but I don't think that uh, God has left us to uh, I, I don't think he's left this totally up to mystery. No, definitely not. Yeah, you know, I, I'm teaching a, a theology class for for women right now, and we were focusing on a few things. And one of the passages I was dwelling on was Galatians four four, in the fullness of time, right? And what's when time was most pregnant, if if you if you think of it that way. And what what's interesting is that. Why was Christ born at just the moment he was? Well, obviously because th that everything in the Old Testament had been fulfilled. There was 400 silent years, you know. You got, you got all these things going on, but, but it was just at that right moment. Well, Rome's in power. You have a unified government. You have roads. You have uh, legal um, uh, rights and, 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 and structures, and you have language, a unified language, and it's at that very moment Christ enters the world. And one of the things that's just mind-blowing is if he's not sovereign over everything, he can't make that happen. Right. And the confidence we can have that he, his son entered the world at just the right moment when time was most pregnant, and boom, literally, uh, Mary gives birth, yeah. and, and he enters the world, and, and the world forever has changed. Mm -hmm. And and that's because we have a sovereign God who's in absolute control. And guys, I, I just, again, I wouldn't want it any other way, man, because it's if it were left to us, just one one percent, if, if one half percent were left up to us, we'd be in trouble. Right. Well, then he's yeah. not he's not completely sovereign then. Even if he's 99 percent sovereign, he's like, OK, man, you have one percent responsibility. Please don't screw it up because then I got to redo my whole entire plan. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians that think that way people that are genuine believers that they just I think part of the reason they might reject the idea of it is because they'll go right to the emotional issue so like well what about a child who's killed or what about someone who's abused or all these all these terrible things and I think we have to answer them carefully 
Um, but I think we have to answer people like that with everything that we just said, that yes, it's part of God's plan. Uh, no, he's not the author of that sin, um, but he also has a purpose in that. We might not know immediately what that purpose is, but we know ultimately it's going to work out for our good and for his glory. And I think sometimes that's not a satisfactory answer for people, but that's that's really what we have to offer. But that's because life is hard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, you keep right. bringing up the pastoral perspective of this. There's so much pastoral uh, care that can be given because of the sovereignty of God, but because of people's uh, frailty and the sense in which they want, we want autonomy. We're, mm-hmm. we're constantly in rebellion with God, with, uh, with order and structure, because we're constantly fighting for our own autonomy. And we know we really don't want to be in control, right? I mean, isn't that why we have prolonged adolescence today? Yeah. People really don't want to be in control, because we know... We're, we're incapable of really handling things well. And those mm-hmm. people who think they can, oh. it doesn't take them very long to learn they can't. There's just, it, it's the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the decrees of God, are so encouraging. Yeah, they are. They're not, uh, we they, want the freedom, but not the responsibility. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so no, it, it, it's got so much uh, pastoral care written mm-hmm. in that doctrine that it's, it's, it's a real blessing. How does this? And uh, I think it, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say I think it's important too to address the the robot issue, just because I hear that as a common thing that's sort of brought up. I've seen it on T-shirts. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not robots. Um, like an anti-capitalist T-shirt or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just to understand that no, we're not robots. That we do have uh, the ability to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that we do have a will which uh, in the uh, – I think uh, in the Edwardsian sense is free. <laughs> I'm always careful putting it that way. Um, you know, you, you had Luther's bondage of the will, but then you have Edward's freedom of the will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and essentially they're saying the same thing but with uh, a greater nuance, I think. But uh, – to understand that, yes, we are making real decisions, and but also to understand that the fallen man is bound in sin and uh, and is only going to do what his sinful will desires. And so, uh, you know, that is where the work of Christ comes in and sets us free. Um, but Nevertheless, that's probably an entirely different subject in and of itself. But I think it's important to understand that we are not robots, that uh, that the sovereignty of God and the decree of God does not eliminate uh, freely made decisions of man, but rather that God is ordaining—I like the term ordaining in that it contains the term order, that, that he is ordering these things, that he is either actively causing things to happen— or passively allowing things to happen, but he is remaining in control in either case. Man's not off the hook, but God has everything in his grip. Right. And I think exactly. How do you guys think that uh, this? And I'm sure you guys have gotten this question because I've gotten this. <clears throat> excuse me. This response so many times when we were asserting that yeah, God's got a decree. He's chosen to save people. Right. Um, he's determined everything that comes to pass. And then people will look at me and say, why evangelize, right? Why am I going out there arguing with someone? Why am I sharing the gospel? Why am I bothering? If what's going to happen is what's going to happen, why can't I just sit down, right? I like to spin it 
it's not that we have to, it's we get to. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's a privilege to be used as uh, an ambassador of Christ. It's, 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 it's a privilege, um, regardless of what you think about the president, to be able to be picked to be part of his cabinet is, is a privilege. Right. And, and, and to be an ambassador for, um, for, for God is the highest privilege there mm-hmm. is in, 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 in the creation order. And in fact, we're made in his image, or so his image bearers, right? We talked about that already. But on top of that, we also get to use the, the special revelation he's given us to share with others. What a privilege. Now, coming back to that, I don't know who's going to believe. Right. You don't know who's going to believe, but we've been given this privilege to share with all creation. And the good news is, it's not on me saying everything right, uh, getting all the arguments, uh, winning all the arguments. It's the fact that mm-hmm. that he's in control, yeah. and I get the privilege of being involved in what he's doing in the lives of others. Um, you know, whether it's it's just blatant evangelism, whether it's discipleship, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a privilege, and I think we got to remember that, because I think um, people want to say, well, then why, you know, God doesn't need us anyway. Why? It's a privilege. Yeah, right, it is. Yeah. It's a privilege. And I, I think, too, you know, just to use the old kind of simple saying that God has not only ordained the ends, that being the salvation of his elect, but he has ordained the means to that end, right. which is the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Paul says over in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I think um, people that that are uncomfortable with that idea, they're missing the means part, right? They know that they hear they hear people like us say God has ordained the ends, and then they're forgetting about the aspect that He's ordained the means by which people are converted, um, and they think that. They they picture all the all the the frozen chosen you know you've heard that term the lazy Calvinist mm-hmm. just sitting on his hands well I don't have to do anything but they're missing the point that people normally aren't just converted in a vacuum right they don't just they they have to they have to hear the word preached that the word has to be shared with them and and that comes through us you know so we're the means by which the word goes out oftentimes and I think that's why it comes back to what Aaron said we get to be a part of God's sovereign plan which is very humbling to think about I mean the, the very story of Jonah right is Jonah was given the privilege to be God's ambassador to Nineveh. Mm-hmm. He ran from it because of a hatred he had for those people, and yet God has to teach him that you have such compassion for a stupid plant. Yeah, I have compassion over these people, and 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 yet when we look at that, you see the sovereignty of God in that whole story of the uh, in the book of Jonah. Everything from Jonah's. Uh, sinfulness and running the other way to a great storm, a great fish, a great people, and a great message of his sovereignty, but also man's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that Jonah had been given this opportunity um, to speak God's word. And you, it's funny, we read the book of Jonah and you read the way in which he preached. It was basically like, you know, repent because God's judgment's coming. Yeah. I'm out of here. You know, that was big, but but <laughs> yeah. God made it effectual. Yeah. God made it effectual. Faith cometh by hearing. So even when our heart isn't in it, right. And maybe we don't love the people like we should love our neighbors. The reality is it's God's sovereignty. Praise God. Mm-hmm. It's not how much that Sunday school teacher knows. It's not 
Um, it's not necessarily their love for the kids because maybe they're annoyed, you know, because I was one of those bad kids, you know, in Sunday <laughs> school. But praise God that his word is effectual and we get to be used by him. Right. Uh, to see the great work of salvation go forward. And rather than produce laziness, that should give us boldness, knowing that it's not up to me being able to be super articulate. I don't have to get all my words right. And like you said, Aaron, we look at Jonah, even if our heart's not in it, that Romans 1, 16 and 17, you know, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So simply sharing that message, hearing the gospel, the, the message itself is powerful. And one more thought to that is that th- what there was a lesson there for Jonah. Mm-hmm. There was a lesson. God was in His. God was also gracious to Jonah. He wasn't just being gracious to a large group of people, but God was being gracious to a stubborn Jonah who didn't love his neighbor like he was supposed mm-hmm. to. And and I think that's partly why God is using us because He's sanctifying us through that process. Yeah. yeah. You know. And I think we miss one that. of the things. One of the things I love in this is to recognize that God knows all things. God has decreed all things, which means that God cannot risk yeah <laughs> that uh, that God's plan will come to pass uh, that there is no chance of failure and that empowers and emboldens us to be able to risk so to when, go and to to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel knowing that no matter what happens God's will is going to be done so when Jesus goes to Vegas they shut down all the tables because <laughs> there's no risk, right? You know, I'm probably getting in trouble for that comment, but 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 that, all the Baptists are freaking out right now. They're like, "Oh, he plays cards? What?" <laughs> no, but that's a great point, Chris. I think if okay, so if we can take one, if we can boil down one little thing from the doctrine of God's sovereignty or God's decrees, just to take with us throughout the week, something practical, Aaron, I, what I would think you say? I think God's sovereignty thing, gives hope to the hopeless. I really do. I think, I think my, my security mm-hmm. in life is not my ability to drive, my ability to read, my ability to perform business. My confidence in life is, is God and his sovereignty because I know how frail and weak I am. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a pastor whether you're a, a yeah. businessman, whether you're a mother, a father, a, a college student, it doesn't matter. Your confidence isn't in yourself. It should be in the living and true God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? I think for myself personally and also just pastorally as I minister to others, just knowing that God is in control in the midst of all of the things that people endure in this life, that I endure in this life, uh, that no matter what happens to us, to know that there is nothing taking place that is getting past God, mm-hmm. um, that, that he isn't sort of, you know, taking this a day at a time in the way that we are, but that he is ordaining and sovereignly ruling over all things that take place. And just to be able to find such comfort and rest and peace in that, I mean, that that really is something that ought to allow us to sleep well at night, regardless of what the circumstances might be. You know, we have a good Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares about the smallest details of our lives, and even in the midst of turmoil and suffering, that uh, that He is thoughtfully and carefully 
working in our lives for the good. What What is one book you guys would recommend somebody? I mean, obviously the scriptures, we, we want to always put that first, but one book you would say, hey, this is, this is a, a book you need to pick up and, and get your hands on this topic. I, I'm kind of catching these guys off guard. This wasn't a script, but do you got something that was beneficial in your journey to these, yeah. to these truths? Uh, for me, uh, John Piper's little book called Spectacular Sins was uh, very impacting, uh, very challenging, I think, initially. And, and the more I've considered his thoughts there, uh, the more I've just found this to be so helpful. For me, it was John Flavel's The Mystery of Providence. I, I think that just just a, a quick, you know, um, uh, Puritan perspective on the fact that everything is in the hand of God. Mm-hmm. He is sovereign. Zach says only the scriptures, right? Yep. A good yes. Baptist yep. answer. <laughs> only. Yeah. You're 1689 in your Bible, and you're good to go. Right. <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's me. That's so accurate. That's me, definitely. <laughs> well, guys, it's been a great discussion. I appreciate the time, and uh, everybody will get with you next week. All right. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.